welcome to Atlanta Mix 108. Up next is Author Talk with your host, ML Roostrack. Every handshake can lead to something different. And whether it's building buildings or delivering foods, each deserves a banking partnership that's one of a kind. At CIBC, we tailor our services to you. We deliver on your business goals with an experienced commercial banking team you know and the resources of a bank with 150 years of putting clients first. A handshake with us leads to a banking partnership that's made for you. Welcome, Atlanta, to another edition of Author Talk. I'm your host, ML Roostrack. I'm here with a very special guest from over in the U.K., Edward, Edward Tag. Welcome. Yep. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have a very interesting book here. It's the first book in your series called Stand to Resist. Why don't yep. you tell me a little bit about the book? Okay, so... Stand to Resist is, well, I'll, I'll simplify the blurb, but it's um, it's a story set in a completely fictional universe, but it takes a lot of uh, influence from historical um, factors. So it's, imagine between the 1910s and the 1940s, that sort of, if it were in our world, it'd be set there, but it's about a, um, uh, a group, it's about a large group of characters, but primarily two. Um, who are sort of have this war that's been put on top of them from an invading country, and there's no explanation at first why, but they eventually start to find out about why it's happening, and it tests their morals, and it's about it's about the mental health and struggling with um, being forced into a conflict that they they're not actually willing willing to fight. Now, where did you come up with the concept for this? Um, so I took, uh, I took a few influences from a different things. One of the things I did was obviously history itself. Um, I, 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 I do a lot of research on primarily World War One and World War Two history, but when looking at World War One, you look at the, um, the, from 1916 onwards, especially for Britain, uh, with the cons, the conscription laws. And it was that sort of idea of forcing people to go into a conflict when they have no choice, just because they reach a certain requirement. Um, and that in itself, I, I've always thought that national service and all of that was fairly unfair, um, as long as they're um, consensual. But the story itself, it kind of stems from not only history, but it also stems from... Um, I remember I got influenced by one... There was a story from Japan I heard that was based around the similar thing around a people's militia, I uh, can't remember it off the top of my head the name of it, but uh, that's sort of what gave me the foundation to the story and everything else I built up from what I just imagined on the spot to what I put into detail. So there's a lot of inspiration that went into it. It sounds like you have a lot of details in here, and it's all intricate, and it all ties together to make this wonderful story. Yeah, um, I think I spent a bit too long on it, actually. Um, I, now, I, when as people an author, me, I, can, I can tell you, you never spend too long on your first novel. <laughs> There's that's, no such thing. That's chance. true. Um, I, well, when people ask me how long did it take me to write this, it's always a two-part answer. I say four months to write the final copy, um, 
which just involved at least an hour minimum every day throughout those four months. So I was writing for about six hours a day sometimes, just constantly, which uh, got a bit tiresome, but it kept up my interest and made sure I didn't lose interest. But the, se- the full answer is it took me two years because I spent two years planning this because I had to research a bunch of political ideologies, um, languages used by um, uh, in those sort of periods of time, how technology worked. And I think, obviously, research is very important, but I didn't want to be too focused, and I wanted to make some kind of outlandish thing, so I had to make justifiable um, sort of... Uh, what's the word? Um, like, outlandish, really... Yeah, like, justifiable, like, conf- creative things. Yeah, conflicts and making it where the people are actually justified yeah. in doing what they're doing, yes. Yeah, and things like minerals or types of acts and the viewpoints on other people from other countries that in itself is something i had to i had to sort of be quite lenient towards i didn't want to follow it strict to the bone and i wanted to actually have my own personal touch to it it would be like using latinum in star trek as a mineral that everyone wants and they have conflict yeah. about it throughout the series but it's not a real yeah, but in this story, um, I don't touch on it way too much, but there is um, sort of in the law of the story, most of the really sort of advanced crude technology is powered by a mineral called Ludacrista, which the name in itself is kind of a joke because it's ludicrous. Right. So right. it's really, it's, it's kind it of all... just a stupid pun I made up on the spot, but... <laughs> It, it stuck. It um, and, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, you, it has, if mixed, I went into like sort of very, very, very minor science stuff, which was if it's mixed with certain chemicals, um, it has specific like traits. So it can become corrosive, it can become extremely flammable or, or heat um, resilient. And it's sort of, it's what explains some of the really creative and um, out-of-this-world technology, so, such as um, okay. one of the characters uh, is... he's um, Well, one of the minor characters it mentions is a naval officer, and his ship is considered to be like the pride of the Navy because it uses experimental, ludicrista sort of technology that gives it either extended radars or extra firepower or that sort of stuff. But it's it's just like try and come up with something and try and fit it into the universe somehow. Yeah, I understand that. As a fantasy writer, I do I don't do the research except if yeah. I'm researching a unicorn or something like that, but at the same time <laughs> you're trying to make it a universe that makes sense per the universe mm. that you're writing in. Yeah. But you can still relate so, to Yeah. Um, it's, the research I needed was to learn how to do certain ideologies that I decided to include it, but most of it was all creatively picked in anyway. Very interesting. <laughs> um, now, you, we had a chance to talk a little bit before the show started, which I love doing, by yeah. the way. Um, <laughs> you said you have a second book coming out. Yeah, or, so... The the series in itself, because it's called 
the Chronicles of Farthall, not to be confused with Farthall, which some people have accidentally said. Um, uh, it's sort of an, a, kind of an episodic tale from, it's a different story each time, but it all ties together. Um, so the first book here, Stand to Resist, is about it's a very narrow-minded story about a, a single war set within a single country, and it doesn't really change the setting. But the second book, which the name is uh, it's called The Initiative, and the subtitle is A Voyage of the Cerulean, is it's like a companion book. So the genre in itself is a bit different because I wanted to experiment with how I write and all the genres. So it's it's kind of a bit more leaning towards a sort of thriller horror tied in with the, in the same universe, which is actually, it's hinted towards um, several times in Stand to Resist about the plot, but very, very vaguely. Um, and it's about a uh, an expedition um, into the rest of the world that remains abandoned and apparently you nearly had mass extinction there for humanity. And it explains why there's only five nations that are in present in Stand to Resist story. But it also leads on from the effects of the war from the first book, and it shows the aftermath about certain sentiments about racism, certain uh, the installation of sort of trying to form a democracy, trying to form a coalition between countries, Certain char- there is a, a few recurring characters from the first book that come back and they're completely different personalities. They're struggling to cope with the events. Some of them are trying to go on and like breathe a better life um, from the war that was in the first book. And there's some characters that weren't directly affected, but were mentally they're mentally struggling by family members that were involved in it. And it's just the sort of expand the scope of the importance of the first book but on top of that there's a, a third book i've got already got plans which the sort of placeholder name is uh feet first which is sort of set at the same time of the second book but um set within the original continent continent of the first book so it's um but it's a different story and kind of goes back to my roots where it'll be more like the first story in terms of genre but it will, it will, it's like I consider the second one a companion book. It's a different genre, but it builds up the universe. Um, Originally, I was a bit sceptical about whether or not I should write sort of a different genre book for the second, but I thought I needed, I set it it up in the first book, so I was like, I'm going to commit to this, and I'm having a blast writing it at the moment. I think it's not so much as writing in different genres for the same series, it's how the characters want you to write the story. And yeah. me as a fantasy writer, I may have an idea where I want the story to go, but as I'm writing in the moment, it's going to go wherever it wants to go. Yeah. And it's in the moment. Changes. Yeah. It's not just sitting down writing. It's sitting down and just letting your mind take you to where it wants to go. And yeah, you come um, can come up with something very beautiful and stunning, maybe in the same genre that you're normal writing, maybe in yeah a completely different genre. Yeah, I think 
there is the possibility of a fourth one as well. And I, if if I get any demand for it, I'm also prepared to write a few more light-hearted but uh, sort of side stories and novellas about some of the characters' backstories that you would have met in the other books and explain sort of some of their stories and their personalities and just give a bit. Because in the first book, there's a character I really do want to explore who's actually um, named after my friend uh, who was watching me and supporting me write the book. His name's Alexander Arthurs. And so I put the character in it originally as a kind of a joke just for him. He ended up becoming the character I liked the most to write about because he was fun, he was joyful, and despite all the grim, gritty um, depictions of war within the book, he was always there to bring a smile to people. And even when he was serious, his tone of voice, I can just imagine it in my head being really jovial and fun. And it, it was one of those characters that you just sort of think, this is someone I want to write more about. It's amazing how, depending on what we're writing, how we always have our one favorite character, regardless. Yeah. Of, it could be... It can be someone that's not even a main character. It could be a supporting character, and we just fall in love mm. with that one person. Usually people fall writing. in love with a supporting character anyway. Exactly. It's not always the main character, the protagonist, the antagonist. It's usually someone that's in the background that's just there, but that's who we yeah. are. That's the, the thing I like about Stand to Resist about well sounds like I'm tooting my own horn there but um the thing I like about it is um I got to write about loads of different supporting characters not just the two main characters um and I can go and they're all different from one another and I could go through them if you if you want um just give us a couple examples okay I'll give you a couple so the main character is Reese Hendricks who is um a farm boy who was just supporting his father, who was crippled from a previous war, um, in just living and keeping, but he gets conscripted, and he sort of acts as the moral compass of the group. He's very sympathetic with his people. He's very protective of the people he's been put in charge of, and he's very down-to-earth, and he understands that every... He's sort of... He's like the everyman character. He's your modern mindset for uh, that sort of time period but when you have a there are other characters um such as another one that i really loved to write about was there's a little girl called evelyn who is involved and she was um unjustifiably like conscripted despite being below the age and she's a very and she represents the sweetness and innocence of like the people being sent out to conflict like in the conflict and it was just, I really, really enjoyed writing about her. She didn't change that much, but a good example of the character who did change, again, is uh, there's a character called Ella, um, who I, I really, really, really enjoyed writing about. Um, she's a very nervous, uh, really timid woman who's very dependent on her sister, who's also in the story. And she has this almost religious following of her sister and she can't get over the fact that she's inferior to her other half um and that is uh, and it's the progression of her trying to become more confident in the face of conflict 
to try and benefit other people, whereas the horrors she's seen and the nervousness she gets is actually becoming a disadvantage to other people and it's setting her and other people back. So it's like a journey of trying to combat anxiety. That is an excellent example because we have so much today, you have all these conflicts going on and you have the people Mm. that we see going off and they can be most nervous person then come back and they find themselves or you have the mm. mental health coming going on too as well yeah so it's, it's going it's a little par- the two main characters reese yeah reese is they're like a parallel to one another reese is supposed to talk about the declining health while uh, Ella is supposed to be talking about the sort of strengthening of mental health. So mm-hmm. Reese's they, they kind of go past each other. There's a midpoint, and then it just spirals into chaos you know, towards like the final conclusion. Well, of course, you can't have a second book if you don't have chaos at the end of the first book. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> There's plenty I mean, of chaos in this. <laughs> Really, if you think about it, any good book never ends with a happy ending. It ends with a cliffhanger with some type of chaos. Something's going yeah, on. Yeah. Um, um, so it's it finishes on a cliffhanger. Um, for this one, I won't obviously spoil it, just in case anyone who listens right. actually wants to read it. But after the cliffhanger, there's an epilogue. Now, the epilogue does kind of answer the cliffhanger but not in a way that makes it redundant or um, makes you ask questions about why it happened but it also acts as the setup for the next book and introduces two characters that will be featured into the next book um, as supporting characters so I I used like the epilogue as a bridge between the two okay so you're bridging the two where my writing and a few other authors I know take the epilogue to make the chaos, which is the entrance yeah. of the second book. Yeah. Where your um, where your chaos is the last chapter, and then you have the epilogue to explain a little bit to bridge. Yeah. The the ep- the epilogue between the bridge and the um uh and the second book, uh, the, well, the last chapter and the bridge is just over twenty years. So there's plenty of cliffhangers and things that make you confused and things that make you go, why is it like this? Why did that happen? And it acts as like a giant twist um, that happened towards the end. And I wanted to, because one of the things I defined with the characters is when I made characters, I wanted to imagine what would happen to them. How would their personality sort of ironically go on to leading to either their downfall or their success in the story or just their character arcs in general. So some characters are very nationalistic um, and very loving of their country, but that leads to them being reckless and blind to the sort of conflict, whereas the more morally sound um, uh, well, characters are a bit more, they understand the chaos and it damages them, and that is what brings them down for the majority of the story or lifts them up more. It's it's all varied on different characters. That's very interesting. 
it's, it's a whole new dimension or new world. Yeah, I cannot speak today. <laughs> new world, and it's very interesting because you're tying in a lot of things that we have in history, things that are going on today, and. Mm news and media, and then you're taking that to a different dimension and putting yeah. light on both sides. It's it's the same with all the nations. In So there are, in Stand to Resist, five nations. Um, there's Louise, there is Keelan, which is the focus of the story, there's Ferruzia, who is the invading force, there is Redus, and there is Osarkan, so the the main three ones in this story that are important are Redus, Osaka, no, Redus, Ferruzia, and um, Keelan. Sorry, I, I got confused because Osaka's the country of importance in the sequel. Um, but they're all based off different areas of our world. So Redus has come out of a civil war, but it's very heavily inspired by the Spanish Civil War of 1936, 1937. Um, You have uh, Ferruzia, which is kind of a mix between uh, Russia and the German Reich. Um, You've got Keelan, which is kind of, it's got the culture of Britain, which is, so I knew how to write about it and about the historical British side, but it's also got sort of connotations of Poland, the vulnerability they had. And then you've got a Sarkin, which is kind of like the Asian prosperity sphere of the of the uh, the nation. So it's very it's the the way it works is a feudal land that's run by clans, and it's very ancient sort of China Japan sort of era. And then Louis is supposed to represent the neutral countries like Sweden and uh, uh, Switzerland, who sort of just very they isolated themselves to try and protect them from the chaos. Right. So I like I like to like drag in all of in those influences. Mind. Yeah, I, I think I have a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> well that was that what's make makes a career writer is always having something going on in your mind and to a, be able to put all this together mm. as you're telling me is just Mind-blowing, but very intriguing at the same time. <laughs> well, uh, so. I I sort of thought this genre was best for me to write because not only am I obviously very historical, but I'm also in a um, a air cadet squadron, which I told you earlier um, when we mm-hmm. talked earlier. And I sort of understand the the roles of a of military discipline. Now, it is just a cadet corps because I'm only 18, so I'm not exactly enlisting the, into the Royal Air Force. Um, but I understand how the structure works, some of the language they use, and mixing that with history is—it it makes you feel. It makes you. It, it makes me feel comfortable about writing it. I feel like I can write it confidently, and feel like, from my personal experiences, I'm getting it somewhat right. I hope. You're 18, and you have a potential bestseller with four more books coming out. That's yeah, I published this when I was 17. Um, that is I published it. I only just became 18 on the 21st of September, so I'm still trying to convince myself I'm an adult. 
but yeah, I, I've been writing for years, but I, I actually, before I wrote this, I wrote what I would consider three other books, but I never dared to publish them. And I still am not convinced I should publish them and that I should rewrite them eventually. But that's that's just another story I'll come back to in the future. <laughs> okay, one thing I found out being with being in a publishing house and talking to other authors, the author yeah. is most critical when you're writing. Get a second opinion oh, yeah. of your first books, your early books. You can always make it collection when you get your name out there and you get established and you can go back release it well as if I get my name out work. there well we couldn't get your name out there really um, <laughs> and then release it as an early work and then it's already hmm. going to have your fan base that's wanting more from you yeah another thing I'm thinking of releasing shortly is I've got my own poetry anthology coming out I still need to decide which I've written about a hundred poems in the past year and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to publish. So I'm just trying to sort of spread my, I'm not trying to spread myself thin of where I'm working, but I want to stay as widespread as I can within my comfort zone. Oh honey, we need to get you a publisher. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. A publisher. I will admit Kindle direct publishing wasn't, wasn't the most fun of experiences. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get you a publisher that can help you. Yeah, you have so much yeah. going on, and you're so young. Yeah, and brilliant, and yeah, you you need to get a publisher, honey. Oh, I'm I'm gonna need help with finding that. Um, I've, well, I've that's never really why found you one. Have me. You have me. <laughs> well, this will be my third party contact for publishing. Because well, I wanted to sell my books a lot cheaper than it actually went. I wanted to sell it for about six pounds, or I don't know how what that translates to in dollars. Sorry, um, but it's selling uh, for it's selling for eleven pounds because it's a four hundred page book. Right. Oh, I just dropped it. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that co- that goes with cost, yeah. Yeah, and and it's the printing cost is about five pounds sixty, probably plus the 30, 30 or 40 percent um royalties that amazon gets so i only make about one pound per sale <laughs> out of the 11 it costs oh honey we need to get you a publisher so so bad <laughs> I'd, I'd appreciate it <laughs> you have such a brilliant mind and the more you're talking the more i'm like no you can't just do this by yourself <laughs> you're, I've been there. I've done the self-publishing, and you cannot do it by yourself where you're the direction (laughs) you're trying to take this. Yeah, I'm trying to... I'd love to take it professionally, but at the moment it's sort of like a semi-professional hobby at this point because I can't take it that much further. Right. um, Obviously, there's, there's been... There are two people who have been helping me along the way is uh my business teacher actually uh, adrian sturrock he he really he was the one who convinced me i should publish because he released his own book which was mm-hmm. like it wasn't fiction but it was a 
a comedic account of him traveling. It's really, really good fun. I really enjoyed it. But also, um, the cover art was done by someone who's a year younger than me, called Daniel Goff. He's also from my cadet squadron, but he's really, really nice. He's very hard I've working. I've seen Daniel's work. Yeah, it's it's actually I can't believe that he can draw that well. <laughs> I wasn't. I did not realize he was younger than you, but I've seen his work. I think he's, he's 16. Here's me over in, um, about over in America, and I've seen his work. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm very envious of <laughs> well, some I'm, of the I'm sure we're glad to hear that. <laughs> so, but we're almost out of time, sadly. Yeah. So, before we Obviously. leave, where can our listeners find you? Um, honestly, I, well, I have... I don't have a website, um, but I do have, obviously, there's Facebook with just my name. Um, I'm I'm usually happy to add anyone who's interested in reading or asking questions, even if they just message me without even adding me. But I also have an Instagram account, which is a, it's called Musician on Wheels, because the the time I made it, I was in a wheelchair. Um, So I decided to give it a comedic twist, but I've started trying to turn that into my authoring Instagram page, but I, I still don't have a website up. Sweet and music there's also, uh, and there's also, um, you can, and also that obviously if you just, you just search my name on Amazon or the book title, you'll find it instantly. And that's all, that's all of all I've got at the moment. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to work on getting new a publisher that has, I'd be, I'd be, Extremely happy if that if that would Someone possibly that be a dream come true. Someone that can you under the wing, because you. I'd really, love that. Yeah, you need that, sweetheart. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's all the time we have for today. So again, okay. thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been real, really good fun. I've enjoyed it every minute of it. I've been, I've and been, I've been it, sitting in my room excited all day for this. <laughs> Atlanta. Good night. Happy reading and watch out for this one.